It's exciting, isn't it? A nice empty five in front of me. Fabulous. Um, gang, while we wait for the last few to come in, um, welcome back. It's our final afternoon of Foundations. Um, really, really lovely to see lots of you here. It's very warm in here now, which is very exciting. Uh, the sun is shining. Um, but we are about to start our final big session together. It's called As Iron Sharpens Iron. Erin um, and Samuel will be taking us through most of it. Um, but I thought we could play a little game just to start us off, to kind of wake up the brains, uh, see how we're going. So my question for you guys is, um, I want you guys to shout out for me both the message and the ambition uh, of some of these things that I'm going to show you. So the first one is on the screen now. What is the message? What is the... Thank you, Catherine. Every little house. What does that mean? A little bit cheaper means a lot cheaper in the long run. Love it. Uh, what's the ambition of that advert? Buy from Tesco. It's got a message. It's got a name. Right, um, Samuel's going to read us our next one. Choose to study at a world-class university with an unforgettable student experience. We offer gold-standard teaching and cutting-edge research. Explore our range of undergraduate and master's programs. Wow. Um, guys, what's the message in that one? I heard a lot of shouting, not much clarity. Someone go loud. Go to St. Andrews. Go to St. Andrews. Well, that's the ambition, isn't it? What's, what's the message? Did someone say we're the best? <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. We're fabulous. We're gold standard. It's all wonderful. Secretly, not secretly, we're the best. Um, yeah, I didn't have to go far for that one. Um, the, what we've discovered pretty quickly um, is that there's loads and loads of voices in our world. Um, we get messages all the time, don't we? Whether it's from our music or our education systems, from our family or our friends, from our social media and our newspapers. Um, subconsciously and consciously, we are receiving messages and voices all of the time. And I think often we think those messages are quite neutral. Um, what we've already discovered is that they're not. Um, they've all got a purpose. They've all got an end goal in sight. They've got an ambition. Um, we're not saying it's bad to shop at Tesco or go to St. Andrews. That would be awkward because... Most of you did. Um, and we're not even saying, you know, it's bad to dance or sometimes even to just let some of that negativity go. But what we are saying is that we need to be really, really conscious that we live in a world of voices. And we live in a world of voices that are trying to shape us and that have intentions for us. And so I hope it's pretty obvious that when we're considering that um, as Christians, as those who long to follow Jesus we're going to have to listen to his voice primarily. And we're going to have to listen to those who speak his voice. Because it's only from there that we're going to hear what he has to say for us. We're only going to hear his design for us, his purposes for us. And only through his words that we will finally um, reach the goal that he has for us. So we have titled this seminar as Iron Sharpens Iron. It's often um, battered around as a Christian cliche. Um, I'm not going to play a quiz question of where is this from, because Samuel and I would have both lost. Um, but it is from Proverbs 27, verse 17. Um, and it is a phrase 
that is very short, but is very, very profound. So as iron sharpens iron, um, I know that can feel quite unfamiliar, but if, like me, you grew up with Sunday lunches being roast dinners, then you may well have watched a parent try and sharpen the knife, and you have a knife, and you have a steel, which is made of iron, and you sharpen it, and wham, bam, you've got a sharp knife, you can cut your meat, great. Um, if you try to use plastic, it ain't going to work. If you try to use wood to sharpen that knife, it's not going to work, and you'll probably get quite injured. And it's not very profound, is it? But actually, it is so profound when we think about ourselves as Christian people. The only people that are going to sharpen us so that we're useful for purpose, that we're true to our original design, are those who are equally Christ-filled, Christ-shaped, and filled with his words and speaking his truth in love to us. And so that is why iron sharpens iron. It is believers together that we grow more and more like the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to look at that together. Um, Aaron and Samuel are going to get us to do lots of work to see that for ourselves. Um, but I'm going to pray um, to ask for the Lord to help us to understand and get excited about this wonderful, wonderful privilege that we have as church family. Father, we thank you so much for your rich blessings to us. Lord, we thank you for another gorgeous day. We thank you for uh, the lunch that many of us were able to enjoy. Father, we thank you so much for all that we've heard from your word this week. And we pray that as we um, come to this time of discussion and reflection now, that we will be excited about the way that we each have a role to play in building up your church, in encouraging brothers and sisters to grow more and more like the Lord Jesus. Lord, please give us awake minds and joyful hearts that we might be excited to see the plans that you have for us. Amen. So I'm going to hand over to Erin. Thank you. Um, we're going to be working from the handout in your folders. You should have an iron sharpens iron handout. Um, but to begin with, Um, if you could all take your little sticky note, if you don't have one, Samuel, my grammar's assistant, is going to give you one. Um, so stick up your hand. Um, we're going to begin by writing down five people that um, fit this criteria. So the first one, think of a good pal in church, in our church, um, that you get on really well with, that your go-to person if you want to chat to someone. Um, Someone at life groups that maybe you just only know their name, you're not even sure what they study, don't know anything about them. We all have those people. Um, the oldest person in your home church you can think of. If you don't have a home church, the oldest person in our um, church here. Um, yeah, someone who, yeah, looks really old, just judge them. Um, if you've ever done like a mission camp or a summer team, Someone that you met through that. If you've never done that, then someone you've just served alongside um, in church. Maybe you've done tea and coffee or something. Um, someone that you've met through um, serving. And then, yeah, if you listen to any podcasts or read any books, um, think of um, a Christian preacher. Maybe it's like an old minister you used to have if you've never read a book. Um, preferably someone living, not C.S. Lewis. Go wild. I'll give you a couple of minutes. I hope you all enjoyed that. I don't know about you, but I had a moment where I was like, oh my days, is that offer alive or not? Who knows? But don't worry about it. 
Um, so I hope that was helpful. Uh, we will come back to those, so um, feel free to stick it on your little handout and we'll reference them again. Um, I trust that as Christians we're all really well aware um, that we're commanded to love um, one another. God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to willingly die for us whilst we were still sinners. And since God has loved us, we are therefore commanded um, to love one another. This command, though, can be really tricky. Um, When we think of our close Christian friends and family, we can feel like we're always letting them down, like there's always more that we can do for them. And whilst this is true, I think when we think of this command in relation to that random old man at church that you're pretty sure dribbles and can't hear anything you say, or when you think of that little toddler that has randomly run up to you and is shouting absolute gibberish, or when you think of Christians in India or Botswana or Uzbekistan, it can seem really impossible to know how on earth to love all those people. Or maybe as you glance down at your list of five names, do we even feel like we can love those people? It can seem impossible. However, Jesus' love for us was seen most clearly on the cross, and it was so we could be united with him in eternity. And as we heard this morning, we're going to be God's forever people in his forever place, experiencing his blessing and rule forever. God loved us so much that that was his goal for us. And if we're to love others because of God's love for us, we should be loving in the same direction that God's love is. If Jesus' death on the cross was so people could be united with him in eternity, then when we took up our cross to follow him, our cross-shaped sacrificial love should also be for the result that people can be united with Christ in eternity. We should be loving in the same direction that Jesus was loving in. We can love people with the short-term goal of them being satisfied or happy or feeling loved, but the ultimate goal of our love for them should be that they should be united with Christ in eternity. And that is the goal that Jesus' most loving act had, and so it is the goal of our love as well. The Bible is very clear that the direction and the aim of our love should be the same as Christ's. So we're going to spend some time looking at two different passages in the Bible, and we're going to be looking at Philippians 1, verses 8 to 11, and Colossians 1, verses 28 to 2, verse 5. And I'd like you to take some time to just fill in um, the table on your handout, and I'm going to get you to feed back on your answers to the table, um, but I'm not going to get you to feed back on the questions. Um, So fill in the table, answer the questions. I'll give you like 10 minutes. You're only going to be feeding back on the table, so don't worry about that. I hope that was enough time. Um, We're just going to feed back on the table real quick. Um, Did anyone, well, I'm presuming you all had answers. Um, (laughs) What were your answers for um, the Philippians passage? We'll start with this group. Mm. Yep. Yeah. This group at the back. <laughs> what were your answers for the Philippians um, for the the table? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I find it that bit um, very challenging when it comes to um, how we pray for one another. I think, yeah, I was reflecting on, I don't know if anyone, any of you are at the last prayer meeting, um, but we had to, well, we got to pray for um, Christians <laughs> in India. And quite often when I'm like, presented with that, I'm like, I have no idea what to pray for Christians in India. But yeah, Paul is very clear that we want them to be pure and blameless and um, to have the fruit of righteousness. Um, yeah, it's just an amazing goal that is so universal for everyone. Um, and I think it's also a very big challenge to pray for people. Um, I guess in our group we're reflecting on sometimes it's hard to love people that you find difficult to love. Um, but we know how to pray for them and we know what we want to see um, grow in them, which is amazing. And what did the gals group, what did you get for Colossians? Say again. Which, yeah. How amazing would that be if that was our goal every time we met for life groups? How would that change the conversation we had over coffee? How would that change whenever someone starts gossiping or um, someone says an unkind word to someone? If we all had that goal in mind, would that transform those conversations? What did you guys get for Colossians? Anything else? Moving on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, yeah, is what we want from life groups as well, that people would know the truth so well. And yeah, that's how we can share truth so clearly with one another. Anyone have any final things that we haven't mentioned? No, brilliant. Thank you, guys. Um, I hope it's um, been encouraging to see how we can allow um, our love to be shaped by God's love for us. Um, I think that frees us from having to discern um, what everyone's greatest need is and how we can best love them. Um, it is amazing that we already know what each of our brothers and sisters' greatest need is um, just by looking at God's word. Um, I think I think that is a big freedom that we have as Christians um, to know how best to love people and what they most need. Um, but we must never think that it is um, our love, our efforts that give people eternal life. And the Bible is very clear that it is the living and abiding good news. Uh, it is the gospel message um, that gives people eternal life. These pastors equip us to know what the end goal of our church is, but they don't entrust us to get our church there. Um, I read the Bible every week um, with a friend of mine for seven or eight months, and we decided to stop whenever she decided she was no longer Christian. Um, we were helping one another to mature in Christ, and we were discussing how to live lives of holiness and godliness, um, but no effort on my part. 
was going to present her before Christ. Um, so we loved one another with the correct goal, but only the gospel can get someone there. But it is a great privilege that each of us can be part of one another's maturity and sanctification. It is a joy that we can see friends submit more of their life to Christ. And it is a blessing to see people in your life group understand God more and more through his word. And it is a privilege to be able to pray for a Christian brother or sister, despite maybe knowing nothing about them, but being fully aware of what their greatest need is. Um, so I hope you can grasp just how freeing and joyful um, this message is. Samuel is going to continue. The double act will go on. <laughs> Hello. So, if you want to switch over to the other side. So, Erin has helpfully taken us through what is the goal for each other, but we may still be a little bit unsure about what are the means for us to get there. Has God given us with these huge goals and then left us stranded? Wonderfully, that is not the case. God has provided means for us to work towards this goal. So, what is God's plan for helping us to reach this goal? If you turn with me to Ephesians 4 on page 977 in the Black Church Bibles, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 16, and I'm going to ask William to come up and read because I'm going to be speaking for a while, so enjoy a different voice. Grace was given. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also ascended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you, William. So on a first reading, it is quite confusing, this passage, what's going on. Um, I'm going to be taking us through what I think is a chain that we see in this passage, how we get to the end goal that Erin has taken us through. Um, you should have a bit of space at the top of the other side of the sheet. might be useful to trace out this chain for yourselves. I'm going to be speaking a lot so you don't all fall asleep whilst I'm talking. So at the top of the chain, the first point is that 
the risen Lord Jesus gives. We see in verses 7 to 10, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who has ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. It is important for us when thinking about how we get to the end goal that we have the ascended, the risen Lord Jesus at the top of the chain. The church isn't built on the eloquence of man, but thankfully is equipped by the victorious reigning ascended Jesus. Our Christ is not dead. As we see in verse 9, he descended in his incarnation, achieved decisive victory through the cross, and then in verse 10, ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. The church is made by Jesus, ruled by Jesus, has a purpose given by Jesus, and as we see in this part, is equipped by Jesus. This should be an encouragement for us here, whether we're here in the halls or at our home church over the summer, that the Lord Jesus cares about the church and gives to the church. We see Paul writing, Paul was once an enemy of God's people, and yet he is used by the risen Lord Jesus. And such is the same for us. The Lord, the risen Lord Jesus is happy to use us who were once rebels. So that's the first part of the chain. The second part of the chain, so the Lord, risen Lord Jesus gives his word and word ministers. If we look down at verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. The risen Lord Jesus gifts us his word. If you want to flick to chapter 2, verse 20 uh, of Ephesians, we get an understanding of what the apostles and prophets mean. So I'll start at verse 19, actually. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets are foundational to the church because they spoke the very words of God, and their words became the Bible that we have in our hands, the foundation for the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, we learn that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is amazing that when we open the Bible, whether here or in our church back home, we are opening a gift from Jesus. It isn't just a make-do situation. And Jesus hasn't just left us with his word. He has also gifted us the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Jesus has given us people with specific teaching gifts, evangelists to preach the gospel, shepherds to tend the flock, teachers who present and explain the word. Just like the Bible, having teachers of the word is not a make-do situation, but something gifted to us by Jesus. However, Good Bible preaching is not the end of the chain. It isn't just the end of the story. Preaching does not exist as an exercise in itself. 
And then we get the third part of the chain. So the risen Lord Jesus gives his word and word ministers to equip the saints for ministry. So if we look in verse 12, word for word, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The risen Lord Jesus has given us the word and teachers to equip everyone. All Christians, not just those who are ministers or life group leaders or have a special role, all Christians have spiritual gifts that are to be used to serve one another. Spiritual gifts are service gifts. These verses make it clear that it is a job for every Christian to be prayerfully proclaiming the word of God to each other. It is a job for every believer. For what purpose? So then we get the fourth part of the chain. The risen Lord Jesus gives his word and word ministers to equip the saints for ministry to build up the body to maturity. A body. The church is throughout scripture or the New Testament described as a body. The church isn't described as a bus where the minister drives and does all the work and the congregation look out of the window. It's not described as a play where we watch the minister do something at the front and we're far removed. It's described as a body. Our body is full of intricate parts. I studied English literature, so I don't really understand much of how the body works, but I'm led to believe that lots, even me standing up here right now and talking, there are far more things in my body working than I can just see. It's not just the visible members that help the body thrive. And that we also see in God's word for the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 to 22 uh, let me find that. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The church as a body isn't an organization, but an organism. It isn't a dead thing, but a living thing. The risen Jesus creates this alive body of our church family. We help each other when we speak to each other in life groups, we are serving one another. When we sing God's truth on a Sunday, we are also serving the body. There is a dual challenge for us in this. How can we encourage other members of the body? But also, how can we be encouraged by them? How can we listen to what our brothers and sisters say in Bible studies after a sermon on a Sunday? We're also a body because as you'll see, if you look at verse 14 in Ephesians chapter 4, we have a common enemy so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We need the word to fill us up and strengthen us because we live in a world where those, those who seek to tear the church apart, the enemy, the deceiver, because we have a common enemy, we shouldn't be fighting with each other in the church body. To quote Sebastian Barclay, we should be fighting to stay together with the sword of God's word. We are fighting for each other. And that brings me to the final part of the chain, by speaking the truth in love. The risen Lord Jesus gives his word and word ministers 
to equip the saints for ministry, to build the body to maturity by speaking the truth in love. I've talked a lot. Speaking the truth in love like iron sharpens iron is kind of a phrase that's used round a lot. So I'd like you to think in your groups that you were working with earlier, you'll see on the sheets we've got a table, um, just thinking about the implications of speaking the truth in love. Where would this, what does this look like? How does this apply? So we've got why would speaking the truth without love be a problem? And why would love without truth be a problem? If you'd like to discuss that in your groups. And then also discuss as well, how does Ephesians 4 reshape how you view your role in a church family? I'll give you about five to ten minutes. I won't be feeding back, but I hope that it has been helpful discussions, something to just mull over, not just now. Um, yeah, my group, we had really good discussions and hopefully an ongoing conversation. Um, yeah, I'm going to hand over to Erin now for the final part. You've all done very well. <laughs> Joanna, give yourself a pat on the back for staying awake. So, um, there is such a breadth of ways that we can apply all that we have learnt. Um, not only is there a variety of people and circumstances, but there's also a real depth um, of the ways you can speak the truth in love. Um, the Bible says that all scripture is useful for teaching one another, for correcting or rebuking one another, and for instructing one another in righteousness. Um, so we can really powerfully use God's word for his aim of seeing people united with Christ in heaven. Um, so I'm going to invite um, Kirsty and Samuel up, um, Kirsty and Samuel to come up um, and share some of the ways that they have been able to um, act out um, this um, truth in their lives. Um, but as they're talking, feel free to read through the PowerPoint um, and just be mulling on, is there any ways that you can begin to apply um, what you've learnt? So Kirstie is going to share, um, Kirstie's family are Christians and she's going to share um, some of the ways as a family um, they like to enjoy speaking the truth in love to one another and how that's changed or developed over the years. Um, yeah, and it's probably really helpful for me just to premise this with, um, this is not Samuel and I saying, this is the way to do it. This is to try and get us thinking about the fact that there is such a variety of ways that we can speak the truth and love um, one to another that will be totally shaped by who we are, what season of life we're in, how much opportunity we have. If you're on a tube, you've got less opportunity than if you're on holiday with someone. Um, just to kind of get excited and to be creative. And the Bible's really creative in the ways um, we're told to do it, whether it's in speech or in song, uh, whether it's in small groups or in big groups. Um, I think often we think, life group and Sunday mornings and that's it and and we we want to kind of blow that out of the water and say this is all of life um and so as Erin said um I grew up in a Christian family um, which was a wonderful wonderful privilege um the biggest gift they ever gave me was to tell me about the Lord Jesus um and his offer of salvation um and I'm really really grateful for that um and I mean there are so many ways that I could talk about um that they helped encourage me um, in loving kindness uh, with the truth of the gospel. Um, when I was very little, we would have read the Bible together. Um, we would sometimes chat about it over the dinner table, not like 
massively formally, but like it would kind of informally come up or it might come up when we're talking about things at school. Um, and I realize now that a lot of what they were saying was very much shaped by the gospel. Um, I think one of the things that I'm incredibly grateful for is that I know that I can send them a text at any point and be like, please, can you pray about this? Please, can you, um, I'm really worried about this, or I'm really concerned for this person, or I'm um, really struggling with this issue, or I'm just really stressed out. Um, please, can you pray? And so often, they won't just say, oh, I'm praying. Um, they will often reply with some truth. Um, often, I don't want to hear it, but it's wonderfully true, and that's really good news. Um, WhatsApp has revolutionized that, so I love it. Um, and it's been a wonderful privilege, actually, to, um, in recent years, sometimes, uh, ring up particularly my mum and my sister and say, let's have a prayer meeting about this thing that we're all chatting about. Um, so as we pray, we're hearing the truth spoken um, because we're, we're saying it to God. And actually that reminds me of the truth, which I love. Um, one of the things I've been reflecting on is how can I be better at thinking that my big goal for my family um, is that they're in eternity with the Lord Jesus, um, mature and blameless. Um, it it can feel a bit weird the first time you start thinking like that. Um, it's really exciting. Um, so I was recently on holiday with my niece. She's only 18 months old. But even just consciously thinking, how can I tell her the truths of the gospel, even as a tiny wee one? It means that when we ran towards the sea, um, I was like, you know, I'm quite excitable. I was like, wow, this is incredible. Isn't God an incredible creator? just normalizing it it's true like let's just say it it's true it's wonderful um and so just putting that into normal conversation um as well as saying hey let's sing christian songs together that's how so often we get truth in our lives so like singing christian songs to her is a wonderful way um she can't speak yet but it'd be amazing if um some of the very first words she's saying actually one of her very first words now is goddy 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 because we keep talking about god and that's an incredible thing um and so Erin's like, that's so weird. Um, <laughs> I think it's cool. Um, but yeah, just kind of thinking about that. Um, there are so many opportunities. Um, but I would love to hear um, from Samuel, someone who um, wasn't raised in a Christian family. Um, living with Christians has been a really new thing, I think, for Samuel, what I know for Samuel. Um, and so I wanted to hear from him a bit about how thinking about speaking truth and love has shaped his relationship with flatmates um, over recent years. Oh, thank you so much, Kirsty, for wondering what I think. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, and I've had three flatmates whilst in St. Andrews. One of them wasn't a Christian, but wonderfully, I lived with Benjamin last year, who's Christian, and Jonathan this year, uh, who you all know. Um, and Growing up at the dinner table or with my flatmate, uh, my first flatmate who wasn't a Christian, the conversation was very much politics and kind of things like that. Uh, whereas living with uh, two Christian flatmates has just been a wonderful opportunity to pray for each other. I've prayed with both of them consistently when I lived with Benjamin and now when I live with Jonathan. This isn't a prescriptive legalistic thing, but it's just a unique opportunity that isn't usual. Um, I find it quite funny now when I'm at home and we just have a meal and we don't pray before or pray afterwards. Um, 
This year with Jonathan, after meal times, if we have time and we're not going out, we've read through a chapter of Genesis, and it's just been wonderful to um, pray through it together, to speak truth to each other, to be mulling on it together, to encourage each other in the sovereignty of God. Um, So it is a really fun and great opportunity having Christian flatmates, and it's not a given, and it's something to enjoy. So I'd encourage us to enjoy them. Kirsty, how has going on summer camps and mission teams with this end goal in mind affected your approach? We should have got multiple mics, shouldn't we? Um, To be honest, um, I often go on summer camps without this end goal in mind. I go on summer camps because I think they're super fun. Um, And then about an hour in, I think, wait a second, there's more going on here. Um, And actually, there's more of a privilege here than I'd ever imagined when I was getting the train here. Um, And I think just one example that I found really, really useful. Last summer, um, I was serving on a summer camp um, with lots of um, people actually your age and stage, and we were doing lots of the washing up. Um, and we were stood there in front of these like industrial dishwashers, and you know, they take forever, and you've got to wait for the green light, and you're like, blah, blah, blah. and it was just amazing, because we were just stood there working side by side, um, just able to reflect on the Lord's kindness, um, reflect on the talks we'd heard that morning, uh, reflect on what it looked like to be a Christian. Um, one of the guys I was leading with was working in the city in London, um, a world that I obviously don't work in, uh, and know very little about, and is very different to my lived experience. But just being like, he is bound for eternity. I am bound for eternity. And we can encourage each other um, towards that goal. It was just incredible. And then um, one of our fellow leaders was um, in their late 70s. And they'd spent their whole life um, pursuing Jesus. And so they could encourage us in such a different way. Um, but it was all with that big goal in sight. So actually, it's just a wonderful liberation. Um, it's a massive opportunity. And it's really exciting that um, whenever we meet a Christian whether we get to know them really, really well or a little bit for a week or um, maybe just meet them on holiday um, at a visiting church, um, we can have Jesus' heart for them and they can have Jesus' heart for us. That is such a privilege. That is such a unique thing as Christians and it is something we should praise God for and it is something we should enjoy and make the most of um, because it is incredibly exciting. Samuel, how have you enjoyed receiving truth and love? Um, Yeah, um, I like reading books. Books are great. Um, I love especially reading Christian books. They're great. Um, I'd say it's... I like reading Puritan writers. Um, I enjoyed them a lot. It's great to see how kind of someone centuries ago is kind of in those truths as well, that God's character hasn't changed throughout the centuries. I find that very encouraging. And it's kind of cool that someone from hundreds of years ago can encourage you in your Christian walk today. Um, I find that very cool. Um, And one big takeaway from a book I read recently called The Mystery of Providence um, was God chose us before the foundations of the world was laid and just thinking through historical age after historical age when Alexander the Great was walking 
the world, when the Roman Empire was about, when all these things were happening, God's, God had, was still working things to bring us to salvation. And as the ages ran on, that was still his plan for us as believers. Um, so reading books has kind of been helpful to um, encourage me in what I know, but also see more of God's love. But podcasts are also great, and other media as well is also great. Um, wow, that was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> Why not turn back into your groups and um, write down some prayer points of how you'd love to apply this over summer as you go home maybe to a different church, as you maybe stay here, maybe as you go into a different flat next year or a different year of university, how would you love to um, apply what you've learnt and then pray for one another? Father, we do thank you so, so much for each one of these um, prayer points that we've discussed and, Lord, we have not yet and brought to you. Thank you, Lord, that you've heard them, Lord, that you know them. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for um, every single um, person in this room who loves you and knows you as their Lord and their Saviour. We thank you that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we pray that you will keep us uh, in the faith, that we might be presented pure and blameless on that final day, that we might meet again to celebrate in the throne room of heaven. Father, we long that you will help us uh, on our journey there, to speak the truth in great love one to another, to spur on other believers to love you more and to serve you sacrificially. Father, please give us your heart uh, for your people. Give us your words to say and give us your strength to persevere. Lord, we praise you for who you are and we praise you that it is you that keeps your people and you that have won this wonderful future for us. In the Lord Jesus. Amen.